0: Well, take your Bibles, let's go to Genesis chapter 15. After a two-week break, it's now time to return to our Sunday morning series through the book of Genesis. I would like to thank you for your understanding as I took two weeks away. Some of that was to celebrate my dad's 80th birthday, and my sister, my younger sister, got to come over from Atlanta, and so we all got to hang out and celebrate my dad's birthday and was a great blessing just to spend time with him, and boy, if your parents are still alive, take advantage of it, amen? Amen. And then Adrian and I were able to get away for two and a half days in the mountains of Colorado at an undisclosed location, amen, nice hot tub out there, amen, that's the way to live, amen. Any hot tub people in here, you got a hot tub? (laughs) Hey, what y'all doing tonight? (laughs) Amen. Anyway, it was good. I I want to just thank you for honoring our time away. And we had a great time just to uh, spend time with each other uninterrupted. And so on the way back home, we caught up on the messages that we missed on the Sunday. Um, Let's see, we came back on Tuesday. So that Sunday, we were catching up on those messages. And uh, if you need something to listen to from Mule Junction, Wyoming to Rapid City, South Dakota, you can listen to last Sunday morning's message. Amen. And so, I love picking on the long-winded pastor. Amen. <laughs> and uh, in all seriousness, I told him that's exactly what I needed, and I appreciate your heart, brother, yeah. and all that you do. It was a great message. I also want to encourage you if you missed it, listen to the Wednesday night message on January the 24th by Tyler Brock about dealing biblically dealing with depression and discouragement. Yep. I promise you it'll be a help to you because we all go through it. Yeah. We all go through difficult times, and uh, I need to give you time to do a series on that. It was good. And so, thank you to all that, uh, that helped in my absence. As we come to Genesis 15, remember at the close of chapter 14, Abram has said no to the world. He said yes to God. And in verse 1 of chapter 15, the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Amen. God came to vanquish Abram's fears of the presence of his enemies by saying, I am thy shield. We're just recapping right now, by the way. And he vanquished Abram's fears of there being an absence of God's blessing because God had not yet given him a child. And God says, I am thy exceeding great reward. And so they just needed to continue to trust God's timing, which I have learned in my life is easier said than done. Trusting God's time. And in those times when God's promises are not coming to pass, in the time frame that we would desire, we need to be assured that God is enough of a reward for us. And that will get us through. And so I wonder, do we really see the Lord as all that we need when our timetable differs from God's? Then last time we considered verses 2 through 6. And Abram was having a difficult time remaining childless because God made a promise to Abraham and Sarai that they would have a child. But it's already been years now since that promise was first given. And Abram is concerned that he is going to die childless. Who's going to be the heir of the promises? And During the perceived delay, Abram was already planning how all of that would play out in his mind As this promise was not coming to pass in his time, he starts trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do then? And we saw how his faith was wavering. And in that time, God brought Abram back to his word, back to the promise. And he tells him, come over here, Abram, and look up towards the sky. Count the stars if you're able. That's going to be the multitude of your posterity. And, of course, no one can count all the stars. In those times, listen, when we're struggling, we have to go back to the promise. And God brings Abram back to his word. Remember, he told him earlier, you're going to be as the dust of the earth. And now, he says, as the stars of heaven. And so God reassured Abram a child would be born to him in Sarai, who would be the heir to the promises. Abram didn't need to look for an earthly solution. He needed to look to in heavenly solution. Um, keep trusting in God, amen, to come through. We saw how Abram's faith was renewed in the promise in verse 6, and he believed in the Lord, and he, speaking of the Lord, counted it to Abram for righteousness. Abram counted God faithful, and then God counted Abram righteous. Wow, what a deal. Abram had faith in God, and God counted it to him for righteousness. God imputed He gave, He transferred, His righteousness upon Abram. What? You mean to tell me I can be as righteous as God? Some of you are like, I don't know, am I supposed to say amen? That's actually where if we knew what God is getting at here, we would all get up and take laps and act a fool. We went over to Romans 4. We saw how we cannot... We cannot be saved by works. Yeah, that's right. It is impossible. That's right. Salvation can only come through faith in Christ alone. That's right. It is all a work of God, and all we have to do is receive it by faith. And when we do, God's righteousness is imputed to us. We become justified. Amen. So what's justified? <clears throat> Just as if you never sinned. Yeah. Good night. We're going to start acting like Baptists before this sermon's over. Amen. And we become justified. I can't believe this is in my notes, Pastor DeGarmo. We become justified as God sees the blood of Christ. That's what we talked about in Sunday school. Well, amen. As always, if you missed any of the messages, you can go back and listen on several different platforms that we've made available to you. And uh, I, no way I can get to everything we covered. So those are some highlights. Let's begin today. We're going to read beginning in verse 7. Through the end of the chapter it says, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against the other, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and, lo, an horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land, that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying unto the river of Egypt, unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Can- all right, the, the Termites, amen, all these the Cadmonites, the, the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaims and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the... Jebusites. Amen and amen. As we come to verse 7, we're seeing the continuation of this conversation between the Lord and Abram. I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give this land to inherit it. We find in this statement a principle that is found throughout the word of God. That is how God brings a people out to Himself. God brings out people and brings them to another place. God does not save us and then leave us alone. God works in our life to bring us into something better. God brought Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees to bring him into another land. God brought Abram out of his old life into a new life that he might receive a better inheritance. Deuteronomy 6.23, the children of Israel, after these 400 years elapsed, they're going to say, and he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in. God brings us out to bring us into something better. And if you're born again today, God has brought you out of your old life. And given you a new life. Yeah. And God has an inheritance in store for His saints. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us. That's born again. Hath begotten us unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. What God has in store for us is not of this world. So don't set your affections on the earth, but set your affections on things above. The day is coming when God's going to purge this earth by fire. Bringing about a new earth, and then the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly city, will come down from heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And God Himself will be with His people. And God Almighty and the Lamb will be the temple and the light of that city. And according to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And in verse 5 over there it says, Behold, I make all things new. Whoop! Aren't you glad God has provided something better for us? Something better than the wickedness of this world? I don't understand the theology that somehow we're going to make this earth better. It's never going to happen. <laughs> All right, I'm about to preach that thought and I've got to move on. No, I'm going to preach it. <laughs> I mean, people get this idea that somehow we're going to make the world better and yet here's Adam and Eve in a perfect environment, absolutely sinless, and they mess it up. Two perfect people manage to mess it up. And then you got two kids being raised in a good home. One becomes a murderer, one becomes righteous through faith. I, and then you got 12 disciples, 11 of them trying their best, and you got one that's a devil. Listen, they were walking with Jesus and they, they still had one messing it up. Welcome to raising kids, Abel.
1: All right,
0: focus. I love my kids over there, I'm just kidding. God has something better. Because this world will never be what it used to be. God has a wonderful inheritance in store for us. In fact, once we're in the family of God, get this, we become joint heirs with Christ. What does that mean? We're joint. Whatever He's got, we got. Good night. Matthew 25, 34, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So what we have here is a great picture of our inheritance to come here in verse 7. I was tempted to settle in on this thought and just preach on it all day. And I thought we'll just try to keep moving on. But uh, study it for yourself. Inheritance is a big deal to God. Now before we move on from verse 7, there is something else that we need to understand from this verse. And that is that our Lord is sovereign over all His creation. He is the sovereign Lord. The Lord can do as... He pleases. Do you believe that? And notice what He pleases to do here. He gives the land to Abram. All this talk today about the land over there. Hey, did you know the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof? Amen. Amen. So God, He... And we'll say more about the land when we get to verse 18 in another message, but... God reassures Abram that he will give the land as an inheritance. And Abram says in verse 8, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? I don't believe Abram is pouring out a complaint here like he was doing earlier in verses 3 and 4 about remaining childless. But it would seem this is more of a desire of Abram's to have further assurance and confirmation of the promise so that in the hour of temptation, he wouldn't falter. And that's why we're to store up God's Word in our heart. Amen? Hide thy Word in in thy heart that you might not sin against me. And so I believe this is kind of the idea here. And and you may recall the father over in Mark chapter 9, he had a son that was possessed and and Jesus comes and and he he tells the man, if you believe, you know, anything's possible. You remember what the father said? He said, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And we need help. We find in the Old Testament that when the heart is right with God, when somebody asks a request like this, it's okay. God doesn't upbraid them. We think of Gideon who put out the fleece, and we good Baptists like the rail against Gideon. I mean, you got the promise. Shut up. Just do it. God never upbraided him. I think of Hezekiah, and he asked for a sign, and God turned back the dial 10 degrees, the shadow on there. God never upbraided him. In fact, the one time God, He asked Ahaz... He said, you need to ask for a sign. And Ahaz says, I'm not going to tempt the Lord. And God was mad at him for it. Now, for what it's worth, it's my personal opinion that we don't need to seek for signs today because we have a completed word of God. Amen. Therefore, instead of asking for a sign today, I think God would be more pleased if we would just exercise faith in what we do have. Amen. I'm not saying God won't. You do your thing, but just trust God's word. Remember the centurion, he told Jesus, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. And when Jesus heard that, he marveled. And he said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. What was Jesus marveling at? The man just trusted God's word. You just speak it, it'll happen. Just trust God's word. Well, the Lord is gracious to Abram's request. And in verse 9, the Lord instructs Abram, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So we see here God requires a heifer, a she-goat, and a ram of three years old. Why three years? Because this is when these animals would be at their peak value. God requires our best in our service to him. Amen. All of these animals will later be used in the ceremonial law. Now, what's interesting is Abram knew exactly what to do with these animals. There's no instruction given. Maybe he was instructed. it's just not recorded but he he does with these animals exactly as was needed to be done it's It's kind of like in. How interesting it is that Noah knew what was clean and unclean before it was ever stated, at least on the pages of God's Word. Here's the opinion that I currently favor. Abram understood the requirement by God for these animals meant that God was about to establish a covenant. In those days, the way two parties... I thought about demonstrating this by slicing up some animals in here today, and we... I'm just kidding. Everybody tune If anybody got any cats, we can try that next week. Yeah, wow. I actually like cats. It's just Daisy, I hate. In, In those days when two parties entered into a covenant or a compact, we might say today a contract, both people, they would take an animal, they would divide it in two, and then they would walk between those pieces. Jeremiah 34, 18, it says, And I will give the men that have transgressed my covenant, which have not performed the words of the covenant which they had made before me, when they cut the calf in twain and passed between the parts thereof. And as these two parties would pass between these animal pieces, it ratified the covenant it signified that if they didn't hold up their end of the bargain, if they didn't do what they obliged themselves to do under the terms of the covenant, then they were saying, let us be cut in two like these animals. And so in preparation for this covenant, Abram obeyed God's instructions precisely and without delay. And he took the heifer, he took the goat, and he took the ram, and he divided them in two which is what is meant there in verse 10 when it says He divided them in the midst. Which means He divided them right down the middle. And what most believe is they would go from the head back and lay an equal piece on each side. I don't know. But they would cut it in two. Is anybody else picturing this? (laughs) And then as we read, uh, the birds were left intact. And so they would lay one on each side and then they would come through the pieces. And in verse 11, We see when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away to protect what had been consecrated to God. Many conjectures have been made as to what this may picture, and certainly there are many applications we can make from this picture. I'm content to give you what Matthew Henry said and move on. He wrote this, A very watchful eye must be kept upon our spiritual sacrifices that nothing be suffered to prey upon them and render them unfit for God's acceptance. When vain thoughts like these fowls come down upon our sacrifices, we must drive them away and not suffer them to lodge within us, but attend on God without distraction. End quote. There's all kind of applications we can make there. I think of the fowls that did, once the word of God is given, the seed of the word of God, the fowls want to come and snatch that out of the listener's heart. Right? Some of you today maybe need it. It's okay to say amen. You need the word of God. And so here the word of God is being sown in your heart. The fowls being represented of the devil will come in and try to snatch that away from your heart so that you will not believe. So you do with that picture as you see fit. We, we come to verses 12 through 16. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. So we see in this section here, verses 12 through 16, how God knows the end from the beginning. He's not only sovereign, He knows everything. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows what's going to happen in all of our world conflicts. He knows what's going to happen to this nation. He tells Abram that he would live out his days in peace, that he would be buried in a good old age, and we know that that would end up being 175 years. Amen. I like life enough. That would be fun. Amen. 175. God tells Abram how his posterity would be a stranger in a different land. They're going to serve another people who's going to afflict them for 400 years. We know from the beginning of Exodus this will take place in Egypt at the hand of the Egyptians. God also foretells of how he will judge that nation, how Abram's children will come out with great substance, and that will happen in the fourth generation, and they're going to return back to the land of Canaan. But notice in verse 16 that God is at work in multiple directions. God explains this, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And so understand, our God is always at work in ways we don't understand. Ways that we can't even see. Once the iniquity of the Amorites was full, 400 years later, God would use the children of Israel to drive out the wicked inhabitants of the land. And so God is going to use the treatment against His covenant people in Egypt to judge the Egyptians. And then God is going to use their exodus out of Egypt And then use them to drive out the wickedness that is in the land currently and is building. And I bring this up because I want us to understand that God is always at work in ways to bring about His purposes that we don't always understand. I don't understand all that's going in the world, but I know this, God's at work. And the reality is the outcome of God's purposes may not even be manifested in our lifetime. They might be hundreds of years down the road. That's what's happening here. So I just want to encourage you, stay faithful to God. Amen. And there are several messages we could preach out of these verses, but I don't want to get bogged down on all these thoughts that I could bring up, but we see that there comes a point when iniquity is full. There comes a point when God says, that's it, I've had enough. And God says, when the iniquity of the Amorites is full, I'm bringing judgment, and it's going to be decisive, and I'm driving you out. And God said, I want them destroyed. And America, better wake up, because there's coming a point that our iniquity is full. Is America in the Bible? Stop worrying about all that junk. You know how many nations have come and gone. Say, our iniquity isn't that full? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Have you seen the state of the so-called church? Whoo! I feel like preaching. Listen, we're living in a day where people can't decide what bathroom to go to. Look down. (laughs) Hey, come on now, it's easy. We're living in a day when the church is standing for abortion. We're living in a day when the church is saying, it's okay, if you're married to a same-sex partner, you can preach and be the pastor. We're living in a day when churches are doing drag queen story hours for children. Our iniquity is ripening. The day is coming, God's going to say, That's it, it's full. I've had enough of it. Say, What's going to happen then? I don't know. He gave them 400 years. May God give us that many. We better wake up, children of God. I'm talking about, listen, I'm not talking about the White House. It's gone. It's gone. It's already been lit up in rainbow. It's gone. It's done. I'm talking about the church house. What's going on in the church? Lord have mercy. We're about to have a revival over here in the orchestra. Amen. we got instruments jumping off the pews. Can't even get y'all to get up and run around. Amen. But look at that. Woo. Hey, we better wake up. Man, I got... Boy, I'm just... Yeah, it's been a while, okay. Listen, I I was sitting there watching this video and I thought, you know, there's our John and Romans that were printed. The work that y'all have done... Thousands of miles away, people being saved. What is it that God can do through one church in the middle of the nation? There's probably not 200 of us here today. And Look how God is using this church. What a blessing, amen. You tell me God isn't real, good night. Now, I say verse 12 because I want to tie it into verse 17 while it is fresh in our minds. It says, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. This deep sleep is the kind of sleep which only comes from God. This is the same exact kind of sleep that was mentioned when God put Adam to sleep to make him a wife. And we see that in horror of great darkness fell upon him. Notice this darkness falls upon Abram as the sun was going down. So it is still twilight. Darkness of night does not arrive until verse 17. This supernatural horror of darkness was meant to strike a holy terror and a holy fear Into Abram's heart. And I believe it indicates God is about to show up. Solomon said in 1 Kings 8.12, The Lord said that He would dwell in the thick darkness. At Mount Sinai when God came down, Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. This wouldn't be an appearing of God like Abram had grown accustomed to. But this was going to be out of the ordinary. This would be a very unusual appearing of God. And now we see in verse 17 how God chose to manifest His presence as a smoking furnace and a burning lamp. Many make the application that the smoking furnace is emblematic of Israel's hardship down in Egypt. As Deuteronomy 4.20, 1 Kings 8.51 and Jeremiah 11.4 all call Egypt the iron furnace. Many are making application that the lamp is emblematic of Israel's deliverance from Egypt as coming out of darkness into light. And certainly all these applications will fit and I don't have a problem with those applications. I'm of the mind. We need to see this more as the appearing of God's presence more than anything else. Our God is a consuming fire. God appeared to Moses in a flame of fire. When God came down at Mount Sinai, the Bible says the mountain smoked. And here God comes down to Abram. And the reason that God has caused a deep sleep To come upon Abram is because this would all be of God. Abram cannot pass through the pieces. But only God can. Verse 18 says, God made a covenant with Abram. But understand this morning, Abram would contribute nothing to the establishment, to the keeping of this covenant. God ratified it by Himself. And by God passing through the pieces, God is saying to Abram, let me be torn asunder just like these animal pieces. Let me be as these animal carcasses. Let me die if I don't keep my word. That's quite a thought. Abram should have no doubts now that God is going to give His seed, the land to inherit God swears by Himself because there's no greater to swear by. God cannot lie, and God will always fulfill His end of the covenant. Galatians 3.15, it says this, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuleth or addeth thereto. The comparison is how much more that we can trust God's covenants. If that's how man's covenants are, how much more can we trust God's covenants? This covenant with Abram, it was a done deal. So much so that we see in verse 18, God speaks as the land is already belonging to Him. Because He says, Under thy seed have I given. Did you know before this point, God had always said He would give the land, but now He says I have given. The covenant is irrevocable. This was not a bilateral covenant. This was unilateral. It's not dependent upon two parties. It's only dependent upon God. And since God is the only one who walked through the pieces, that's who has to hold up their end of the deal. It's not going to depend upon God and Abram. It's not going to depend upon God and someone else. But this is all of God. And God is binding Himself to do this. Now why is this such a big deal to understand? Just as God condescended Himself in coming down to Abram, God humbled Himself and came down to us. God established a covenant with Abram and God wrapped Himself in flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and He established the new covenant for the remission of our sins. And God ratified the new covenant with Christ's blood and sacrificial death. Daniel nine twenty seven it says and he speaking of the Messiah shall confirm the covenant with many and then in Matthew 26 28 Jesus said for this is my blood of the new testament or covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins get this now get this In a manner of speaking, God is walking through the pieces of the slain Lamb of God in order to establish the new covenant to forgive our sins and to wash them away in the blood of Christ. That should give new meaning to the statement in the Bible of Jesus being the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Listen now, let's start putting this together. Like Abram, we couldn't bring about the covenant because we were lost in a deep sleep as it were. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Therefore, it is up to God to save us and not us. I'm about to get excited right here. It's up to God to keep us saved and not us. Every aspect of our eternal salvation is entirely dependent upon God. You can't earn it and you can't keep it. The new covenant is already established. The sin of the world has already been paid in full. Remember what John the Baptist said. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the chosen. The sin of the predestined. No, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The price has been paid. All we have to do is enter into this new covenant. And if you are not partakers this morning of the new covenant, you ought to be asking yourself, what can I do? How can I be a part of the new covenant where my sins are done away with in Christ? The answer is very simple, hallelujah. Hallelujah. All we can do is have faith in the God of the covenant. All we can have do is, uh, is have faith in God's method of salvation. Trust it. All we can do is believe in Christ's finished work. All we can do is believe in His death, burial, and resurrection for us. And then the rest is entirely up to God. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin. If we, if we agree with God about our sin. If we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you would come to God through faith in Christ alone, God will receive you and He will immediately forgive all your sinfulness, past, present, and future. I'm not advocating live a sinful life, but that's what it is. God has bound Himself to this everlasting covenant and God cannot and He will never disannul His covenant. God's eternal name His eternal existence is at stake. 1 John 2.12 says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. Philippians 1.6, aren't you glad of this, being confident of this very thing? That He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as the land was already Abram's seed, so eternal life is already ours. John 3:36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Yes. Preacher, when, when are you going to get after everlasting life when you die? No, I've already got it. 1 John 5:12 He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Now don't miss this, okay? Because our sins are done away in Christ. We stand before when the day comes when we stand before God, no sin is ever going to be brought up. Yeah. Did you hear what I said? I kind of bumbled that. Because we're in Christ, our sins are done away with in Christ. When we stand before God, no sin will ever be brought against us because Christ has paid our sin debt in full. Hallelujah! What a Savior! Hebrews 10, 16-18 This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and their iniquities will i remember no more Amen. now where remission of these is there's no more offering for sin who are you under the new covenant today or are you still attempting to trust in your own offering for sin such as your works your church membership your baptism your wisdom your giving Can I encourage you this morning, sinner? Be done with your religious efforts today. Accept only what God can do. Only God can save. And He will save you. He will save you now. Is God drawing any of you today to be saved? I ask you to come. Come humbly. Bow before your Creator God. And become a partaker of God's free salvation by faith alone. Would you pray with me please?